0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmitchofjesus.org. Amen. It's good to see you, and I really mean that. It really is good to see you here, um, to be together, to, to worship King Jesus, and to gather together to encourage one another and to love one another and to eagerly sit and to, to hear God's Word. So today we're back in the book of Romans. So I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device or one of the Bibles there next to you, and you can go to Romans chapter 12. When Pastor Kevin preached last week out of Romans 12 on, our, on being a living sacrifice and ha- having this spiritual worship, as we look now at this rest of this chapter, Paul is really unraveling what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. I love the conundrum of those two words together, a living sacrifice, not a dead one, but a resurrected sacrifice with the resurrected Christ. What does it look like to be a risen, living, empowered by Christ human being? And this is what Paul shows us. And this is significant. I just want to remind you, look at verse 2, what what Kevin showed us last week and what we see from Paul. In 12, 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. That's huge. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And here's why this matters. Because the world is constantly blaring messages to us. Every billboard you see is trying to disciple you. Every ad you see in social media is trying to disciple you. When you accidentally or unfortunately put it on the news, especially local news, good grief, it's trying to disciple you. They're all communicating a message and a manner, something to think and to believe and then how to act, how to act about your opinions and how to treat those who disagree with you or those who agree with you, how you should respond to these scenarios. The world is constantly trying to teach us something. That's why God tells you and I in his word, do not parrot the ways of the world. We must be renewed, have our minds renewed under the reign of King Jesus. So what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? He tells us, let's begin looking in verse 9. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, and we'll begin in verse 9. And the Holy Spirit tells us, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your word, as we seek to hear from you by the Holy Spirit under the reign of Christ. Meet us now, King Jesus. Lead us and guide us by your word. And it's in your mighty name we pray, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. If you've ever been to Harwin Street down in Houston, you probably went there for one reason and one reason only. It was probably the same reason that my aunt took me there when I was in middle school. And it was to get some premium knockoff clothes. This little shop, and a little shop within the shop kind of thing, behind the curtain, and there were all kinds, wrapped in plastic, individually, fake polos. And these weren't the the shirts that were trying to be polos, that had, you know, the Knights of the Round Table. It was still a little guy on a horse, but he didn't have the polo club, he had a sword. Instead, and it was down. So from far away, you could maybe trick your friends. Hey, yeah, it's it's polo. But these were not that. This was a fake little polo rider, the fake polo shirts. And to middle school me, these were awesome. I loved them. Except they were really hot. And I'm already a sweater. They were really itchy. And they began to fall apart after a couple of wash cycles. And then I remember being at Marshalls in middle school and getting one of my first like Tommy Hilfiger shirts there but the sleeves were messed up that's why it was there on the discount rack just one sleeve though and this one sleeve was so tight it felt like it was constantly checking my blood pressure <laughs> but i wore it anyways i couldn't wear it for long or my hand would start you know getting a little numb those fake polos, that messed up Tommy Hilfiger shirt, they were uncomfortable because they weren't genuine. That's why the Bible says in verse 9, let love be genuine. Let your love for one another be authentic, real. Otherwise, our love and our relationships and our local churches, they will fall apart and they get itchy and uncomfortable. And crumble under the pressures of the world. That's why our Lord, and through his servant, the Apostle Paul, tells us we got to prohibit phony love. We must prohibit phony love. Look at what he says in verse 9. Let love be genuine. One of the most important and repeated commands in the New Testament is that the church would love. Yes, that we would love God and that we would love our neighbors and love our enemies, but also that we would love one another. And just right here in verses 9 and 10, this is really all we're going to look at this morning. 9 and 10, he uses three different Greek words to talk about love. We have one in English. There's, there's even more than that. But just even right here in these two verses, he uses three different words, really showing us the, a range, a mountain range of the kinds of love that we are to have for one another. Just look at verse 9 again. Let love be genuine. In, in Greek, this is the, the word. Here, we'll just look at the first three. Let love be genuine, verse 10. Love one another. And then the other one is tucked in. It's hidden in English, but it's there. Brotherly affection. That's also a Greek word for love. This first one is love. It's a godly love in verse 9. It's a deep appreciation and high regard for someone. It's often used of God's love for us and then our love for God and our love for one another. And then verse 10, the love one another. This is a different word. This one's used mainly just for friends, people who have long standing, familiar relationships with, with one another. And you can also use it towards an item, like, I love Chewies. I love Tex-Mex. You wouldn't use the one from verse 1 unless you needed counseling that you said, I love Tex-Mex. You wouldn't use that word that way. That's what the Apostle Paul would use this word. He would say, I love the Houston Rockets. This is the word he would use. And then the next one in verse 10, brotherly affection. Everyone knows this Greek word, Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love. This is brotherly love. It's, it's used for a certain kind of group where there's bonds and attachment. This is like how, this would be used like in the military. This kind of love that you see vets that they respect, that they have for one another, because they're in the same group, so they have a bond together. And this is why the Bible uses it to be used among Christians, that we're in a, the bonds of Christ together. It's incredible that Paul uses three words, three brushstrokes in two verses showing the range of love that we are to have for one another. Really what we see already about love, one of the first defining qualities we see is that real love for one another in in the Christian church. You can't find that at Harwin. You can't have discount rack love in a local church. Real love, that's why he says it's genuine, authentic, rugged, strong, durable. And I just sat and thought about this week that Paul has to tell us let love be genuine. What does that tell you? Literally, it means let your love be without hypocrisy. That's very, that's very insightful to us. That we need to be told from the Bible don't fake your love for one another because that's our default mode. Our default mode is to not have genuine love for one another. If it it weren't, we wouldn't have this in the Bible. But our default is to fake it, is to be phony, to be fake towards one another, to pretend we have love for one another. So the Bible's saying, don't do that. Don't fake it till you make it. Don't just go through the motions. So what are we supposed to do? renew your mind. Do you remember what King Jesus told us in John 13? In John 13, just listen, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. Now, he says that pre-cross, pre-crucifixion. He's telling the disciples, love one another as I have loved you. So we can include the cross in there and his, his humble death and him laying down his life. Of course, we can apply that, but we can forget that this is before the crucifixion. So what does this mean? The way he was kind to them. The way he was patient with them. the way he, The way he kind of dealt with Peter just being Peter throughout the Gospels. The way he loved and corrected and guided. He tells them, You've seen how I've interacted with you for these three years now. Now I want you to love one another in that exact same way. And then Jesus adds, by this, by your loving one another in the ways I have loved you, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. What we're seeing here, what Jesus is telling us, He is showing us the kind of church, what kind of people the gospel of grace creates. What kind of people are raised from the dead with Christ? What do resurrected, united with Christ human beings look like? What kind of people is Jesus turning us into? Those who love one another, whose love is genuine. It's, it's beyond one-dimensional. It's not hypocritical, but it's honest. It's sacrificial. And we're out trying to outdo one another in showing honor and love. And Jesus will say this even more. He'll say it two more times in John 15. And this becomes a dominant theme in the New Testament that we would love one another. I know we've heard it. But do we live it, really? Just look at some of these verses. Romans 13. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the, one who, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians, And may the Lord cause you, may the Lord cause you, do this in you, to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. The next one in 1 Peter, Peter says, From a pure heart, love one another constantly. 1 Peter 3, Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another be compassionate and humble. In the last two, 1 Peter 4, he says, above all, maintain constant love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins. And the Apostle John in 1 John, this book, 1 John, is littered with the word love. This is just one example of it. And he says, dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Why all this talk about love? Because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Love for one another, non-hypocritical, genuine, non-segmented love is what the Bible is calling us for. We can love, but usually we partition our love. We, We put room dividers up and cubicle our love to just love in our comfortable pockets of people that we're comfortable loving and respecting and honoring. This was common in the first century too. The rich would love the rich, be with them. And the poor would love the poor. They would stick together. And different races, the barbarians and scythians and slaves and free, they would all just kind of love each other and stick together. But the crucified and resurrected Christ says, no more. In my flesh, when, I, when he dies on the cross, he has torn down this dividing wall of humanity, and now he's uniting us all together in him. The resurrected second Adam And now we love one another, no matter their race, no matter their income, no matter their schooling choices, their denomination, their political party, their geography. By the mercies of God, in view of God's mercies, we're now motivated and empowered to love one another. And there's really one specific way that we've got to do this. And it's so uncommon, way uncommon. It's unusual. And if we really do begin to love one another like this, it becomes really uncomfortable at the beginning. Because it's supernatural. And I've, I've not seen a lot of people do this. I've, I've seen it some, and I'm beginning to see it some at Redeemer. But God's calling us to more. What we need is next. We need competitive honoring. Look at verse 10. So love one another with brotherly affection. He continues this theme. How? What is the next way that we can really bring this about in our church Outdo one another and showing honor. He could have just said, show honor to each other, but that's the gospel ignites more than that. Outdo one another. Get competitive with each other and showing honor. God is calling us to a sanctified, competitive spirit. Uh, Ray Ortland says this might be the most under-obeyed command in the Bible. And I think he's right. Because we usually think, hey, if we aren't being hateful, then we're doing enough. The Bible calls us to more than just not being hateful. He calls us to honor one another. And he empowers us for more than that. And not even just to honor, but outdo each other. This is a real value from God. Something he wants to see in his church. And I find this so compelling about God. And Whatever you think about God, that, is he some kind of doom and gloom being ruling over the universe with an iron fist? That is not the God of the Bible. If if we believe, and this is true, that the Bible is the words of God communicated from the heart and mind of God himself through human authors, this is not just Paul's idea of what would be good for a local church to have people get along. This is coming from the heart of the almighty, eternal, all-powerful, all-gracious God of the universe. And he is telling this local church now, I want y'all to honor each other. I I want you to admire one another. I want you to love each other, and I want you to outdo each other in doing it. He wants his church to be a place of honor. You know, the world dishonors each other. You, You know how the world acts. They tear each other down. Celebrities get ripped apart in our world that your sins in the world are never forgotten, never forgiven. You can ask for forgiveness. You won't get it. It lives on on the Internet. lives on in the tabloids. The tmz of the world is hell on earth. God forbid it would ever be in his church. But God says his people, the church, those whose sins have died with Christ, who've been raised to newness of life with Christ, who've been given forgiveness by Christ, that we've been now made new, that we should honor each other. Jesus wants his church to be a place where your dignity is restored, where you don't have to live with the shame of your past, where your dignity, your humanity is restored where love is genuine and respect and admiration and and honor for one another isn't just not neglected, it becomes competitive. It's easy for a church to have a uh, dignified and uh, honorable doctrinal statement on their website. That is way easy. That's not supernatural. But when love and honor, honoring, outdoing one another and showing honor happens, that's supernatural. That's Christianity. You know, I don't. I don't think I've ever been in a church where people felt too honored. Has anyone been in a church that's like that? Like, oh man, they, I just felt too honored there. That that doesn't happen. But God wants it to happen. You, I don't think anyone's ever been in a small group and been like, man, it, I just feel like, I feel like I'm a king. I feel like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a queen. I feel like I'm, a, I'm royalty among these people. What if that could happen at our church? God seems to think it can. Why can't Redeemer Church be the place where people are honored and respected to a degree that it's gloriously strange? I mean, there's too many news reports of churches doing dumb things. And pastors and church members doing Awful things to one another. I would love to see press clippings, Facebook reviews, Google reviews, where it says, those people honor each other. And it's like they have an insider game that's public to everybody, where they're trying to outdo each other and showing honor. Guys, how we treat one another matters to Jesus. He wants us to love one another without hesitation, without hemming and without without hawing, without kind of seeing do they deserve it or not. Just like there aren't meant to be barriers to love, there aren't meant to be barriers to honoring each other. This expression of love. I mean, think about Paul is telling Roman Christians to honor each other. You take a snapshot of Rome and all the people that live there, and think about what's happening in this church. This is radical. It's radical in the first century. It's crazy in the 21st century. He's telling, I want the rich Christians to honor the poor Christians. Rich don't honor the poor. But in the church, everyone's equal. Rich honor the poor. What would be even more unthinkable is men honoring women in the first century. That's that's otherworldly. Because the gospel creates a new relational dynamic. Because of our love in Christ and our love for one another in Christ, we become new people. Free, honoring slaves and servants. See, the gospel creates a culture of honor because we've all been defined by Christ. And so now we understand honoring each other. I mean, Derek Jeter had this big retirement ceremony at Yankee Stadium. I don't know if you saw on the news or on ESPN or on the internet. It was really compelling. People are wearing his number everywhere. They got hats with his logo and and his slogan on it. And even other players were wearing his number just to honor him. Statues, the whole stadium cheering. We went to a few Rockets games this year, and we were at one of the games, my wife and I, where they were retiring Yao Ming's jersey. And they had Tracy McGrady and Akeem Olajuwon and all these former Rockets were there. And they said they gave speeches, this amazing video, and love and respect from the whole stadium was really moving. And people were saying all these amazing things. And even at other Rockets games that I've been to or watched on TV, they show Akeem Olajuwon, the best, you know, Rocket of all time, sitting courtside. And they show him sitting there. And the whole stadium, people stand up, yeah, and start clapping for Akeem. Even if I'm at home, I want to stand up and, yeah, Akeem, and start clapping for him. But Jeter and Yao and Elijah, they were all honored for their accomplishments. But in the church, we don't just honor each other for what we do, but for who we are and what's been done for us and who we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. The grace of God brings about the unexpected for the undeserved. We don't honor one another because we deserve it. The fact is that we don't deserve it. But because the grace of God brings about the unexpected to the undeserved, we outdo one another in showing honor. You don't have to wait for somebody to do something impressive to honor them. Christians honor each other because we don't deserve it. Because it's grace. And and maybe you're thinking, you know, who am I to honor somebody? what have i done to give honor to someone else I, don't just great and prestigious people that have accomplished a lot don't they honor others i'm a nobody let me ask you did jesus die for your sins paying for them in full with a promise that you would reign and rule with him forever on the new earth who are you you're a child of god Who are you? You're an heir to the kingdom of God. Who are you? You're you're a shareholder in the reign of Christ. Empowered by him, equipped by him to honor. That's who you are. So honor away. And maybe you don't know Jesus. He invites you into his kingdom. And like the prodigal son, he'll give you the signet ring. He'll give you the finest meal. He'll put on you the robe of royalty. <laughs> if you believe in him alone. Honor, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, we've got to be careful here that we, don't, that we don't do this for boomerang motives. That we go and honor somebody with the expectation of, okay, not, now say something to me. You're supposed to outdo it. Come on. <laughs> You've got to crucify that. Like, I want to honor our brother Winston. I just really appreciate you being here, your love and encouragement that you've given to me, uh, your, your honesty. I just really appreciate that in our brother. And our, the winters, Carrie and, and Scott, just their, their love and kindness, always smiling, always happy. He's smiling now. He's like, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he's just smiling. Now. He can't even help it. And just whenever I'm around Scott and Carrie, they're just always so encouraging. Um, so I just, I just want to honor you. This the evidence of God's grace in your life and the kindness that, that he's done in you. Every Christian you see is worthy of honor. Every Christian you see. Christ died for them. Christ loves them. Jesus empowers them. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in them. Now, this is going to take learning to do. What does it really mean? How do we outdo one another in showing honor? It, it's, it's not natural. That's why we need the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And how to be, we're learning discipleship. We're being discipled by Christ. How to grow in this. And I think the first thing is that we need to become less cynical and more celebratory. A lot of us are very cynical, and, and that, that's not a fruit of the Spirit, in case we were wondering. It's not in the list. We can try to call it, oh, it's discernment. No, it's not. So we've we got to become less cynical and more celebratory of God's mercy. Like, you know, we, were, we had the bowls came over yesterday. And we were swimming. And the kids were all hanging out. And we planted this little lime tree in, in the back of our yard. And I was sitting on the back porch, and I saw the lime tree. And there was this little dinky lime hanging on there. And I was like, oh, ah, there's a lime. There's a lime hanging. I see two. Oh, this is great. That's really most of our lives. Most of us are little, dinky, struggling lime trees with little bits of fruit. And we got to look at that and go, praise God. I'm alive. I'm alive. We're not these massive pecan trees. We're struggling. We're, We're on our way. So how do we do this? Really... Four steps to stage honoring. This is going to be like the only sermon and be like, here's the four keys. to. Do the I, could, I could only think of it in this way. Four steps and, and within two stages, okay? Stage one, honoring. It's first based on identity and grace. You want to outdo someone in showing honor? You remember their identity and grace. What did Paul say? Love one another with brotherly affection. That they're a brother or sister in Christ. So you see this person in your group, in church, and you remember who they are as a child of God. That person you're seeing right now, they are covered in the mercy of Jesus Christ. That that alone ignites love and respect and admiration and sincere thankfulness. That person saved by the blood of the Lamb. That is worthy of being honored. Jesus honors them. He'll tell them, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. So who are we to sit back and go, who do you think you are? I remember their identity in grace. Secondly, identify evidences of grace. Remember evidences of grace in their life. How do you see them working out their salvation with fear and trembling? Because it is God who is at work in them, both to will and to work, to his good pleasure. When you see them praying for someone, when you see them serving, when you see them just encouraging somebody, these are evidences of God's grace. Now, some of us are nicer than others. That's true. But when we see the Bible being lived out, these are evidences of grace. Even sin being confessed is an evidence of grace because we can't do that on our own. It's only the Holy Spirit at work in us. So remember their identity in grace and then identify evidences of grace in them and then you can encourage them right away and then now you move into stage two. Stage two. Honor them personally. These don't have to be in this order, but usually this maybe how it happens. You honor them personally. Now this is not like you have to be like, I'm going to honor you now and I just want you to receive this. Maybe the first couple times you got to do that because it's kind of awkward. We don't really know what we're doing. Just say, you know, I want to honor you. Honor them personally. It's just how you speak to them not talking down to them, how you treat them, how you serve them, how you defer to them, and not, look out to your, not looking after your own interests, but to the interests of others, how you encourage them, admire them, to their face. I think a good definition of honor is, is, to, is, to, is to gossip good things to their face. Gossip good things to their face and gossip good things behind their back and gossip good things in public. That's the second one. Honor them publicly in front of others, at group, with friends. Gossip good things about them. And God wants this to happen. And God says, he says, I want you to win at this. I want you to win at being last. You know, Martin Luther said that, you know, the world, the the unrighteous people, they they are constantly trying to seek their own honor and look at the faults in everyone else. But Christians, we know our faults. But now we've been made righteous in Christ, and so we're looking to honor others. Outdo each other in showing honor. Outdo each other. And since I'm up here, y'all are about to lose. Since I got the mic, I got the face mic. I get to outdo y'all and showing honor. I really want to honor Amanda Moore, if you don't know her. She serves a lot behind the scenes. She brought in the communion trays just before the service. She's an amazing servant at our church. She serves like crazy in Redeemer Kids, helps organize childcare and helping families and helping our church in ways that you may not notice. I praise God for our sister, Amanda. And also, when I think about Redeemer Kids and all their servants, Jenna Ortmeyer, Chris and Jenna, and what they do over in Building C. And we have a lot of young moms and dads that serve back there. And so she's got her own kids back there, and she is with child back there, surfing and making sure the buildings are clean and processes are going well. And she is just an amazing, her and Chris together are amazing servants for our church. And today is Steve and Dana Mitwidis, Pastor Steve. is his last Sunday with us here at Redeemer before they head to Fort Worth. New job, new city, new horizons. And I want to honor Steve. Steve is a unique blend of a man. One, he's got more degrees than a thermometer. This dude is smart and still humble still a learner. That's why he's getting the degrees. He loves rocks. If you follow him on social media, you can see some awesome pictures of rocks. Some of them even look like ice cream. It's wild, some of the things. And they're probably minerals. There's a difference. I'm learning between rocks and minerals. He loves rocks. He loves minerals because he loves God's creation because he loves God. So the psalmist says, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them because he delights in God. He delights in God's creation. He'll post pictures of flowers with the names. It's not just lily. It'll be like a bunch of consonants that we can't pronounce, like all all laid out together. And bugs. He posted a picture of the snake that I just would have killed instantly, but he's admiring it. I, I probably would have tried to kill it and would have not have been able to, but you admire him. And clouds, because he loves God, and it's, it's evident in how he enjoys his creation, and how he shepherds and loves God's people. He's been a faithful and wonderful shepherd, an elder pastor here at our church. And if you've interacted with him, you know that. If you've been in his group, you know that. Uh, that he loves dearly and deeply. And his wife, Dana, is, right now, she's with Redeemer Kids over there, kind of having her last time with them and to encourage them and to serve them. And even with ladies here at the church, I mean, in their missional community, they are one of the true power couples in gospel ministry. And we've been so blessed to have them. We're going to miss them. And I can overlook some of his flaws. Like, like he doesn't really care about the NBA. I can overlook that. <laughs> because of his great love for Whataburger, it kind of triumphs over that. <laughs> I we we're having a, I mean, after 23 years of missionary work in Turkey, I'm sure Waterburger was just amazing to have. And we we're having an elder meeting at our house one night. And I, I thought I saw a man kind of Scurry across my backyard. It's was like, and the, the blinds were kind of shut. It's like, man, somebody in my backyard. And I go and look, and Steve is sitting outside, just singing to this water burger and eating it at the same time. And I looked at him and thought, man, I'm jealous. I want that. What, do you remember what you were having that day? What was it? Uh, Other the sweet spicy bacon burger, so I. Have no- <laughs> <laughs> man, it's a good thing you're only going to Fort Worth, and they got it there. You're good. You're settled. I want to also, more seriously, uh, I want to honor Steve just as our most elder elder, that joining a church, like when Steve came to our church, I remember telling my wife Natalie, like, why is he coming here? This guy is amazing. I, I was so floored and humbled that not only would Steve come to our church, um, a man as gifted as he is, experienced as he is, to come to a place where there's a young preacher like me, when Steve has joked in love that he has beard hairs that are older than me. Um, and, it's, and it's common for older men to despise younger men, especially among pastors, sadly. And I, I never felt that from you, ever. Way smarter than me, way smarter than all the other elders combined, I think it would be so evident. Way more experience, 23 years as a missionary in Turkey, and countless service in the local church, that he would come here and serve alongside me is astounding. And so, man, I just want to invite you to come up. And uh, if any other, I saw Skip is here. Skip, you, you can come up too. And Kevin, you can come up too if you want. Um, just want to. Did I see Skip? I thought I saw Skip here. Oh, there you are. Yeah, come on up, man. Um, I'm going to give you a, a parting gift. And so I'll have Kevin given to you because we post this service on video. So I'll, I'll, st- I'll stay up here. Uh, other one, right there. Yep, yeah, that stack of things. First one I want to give you, man, is a fountain pen. And it's already got ink in it, so you're good. You can use it. And I can teach you how to refill it, so there's one thing I can teach you, because I know you're, you're, you're not all aware on that. I'm not all the way on a lot of things. I'll help you. I'll help you, man. I got you. And this way, when you're writing notes, grading papers, or drawing pictures of me in your diary, you can just... <laughs> You can remember how much you miss us, but you, I'm sure you won't need help with that. Um, and as a collector I, I, and someone who loves to collect rocks, loves to correct, and all, Steve all, loves history. He loves to teach historical theology. He loves to teach church history. Is wanted to give, you the, give him the box first. And this is the first volume of the recently discovered, never-before-seen Spurgeon sermons from his first year as a pastor in England. And as he served... Uh, a man, Christian George, he's a professor at Midwestern. He was doing his Ph.D. work on Spurgeon. He was in the U.K., walked into this library and said, hey, are there any Spurgeon books that I could work with? And they said, yeah, there's a stack of journals over there. You can go look at those. They didn't even know what they had there were Spurgeon's actual journals. Never seen from his first, like, seven years in ministry. And he began even preaching as a teenager. So now they've taken high-res photos, typed them up. Uh, they did all this amazing work. So they're his early sermons. Wanted to bless you with that, man as I knew you would enjoy it, and to even take it a step further. Because one, I'd think, you look like Spurgeon. Look at these pictures. (laughs) I thought it from day one, man. Like, this guy, he looks like one of my heroes. So uh, we wanted to give you an actual page that Spurgeon edited. So when he would preach, someone would be writing down everything he was saying, and then he would receive it the next day, and he would go and make edits before it went to publication. He would take out his purple pen, and he would make all of his edits, and he used purple because it reminded him of God's majesty. And you can see there's purple pen on there. And so this is one of the pages that Spurgeon edited, and there's another page in there where it's typed up what what was on this page, what sermon it is. You can go read the sermon in its entirety, and it's, it's authentic. It's not from Harwin. It's, it's authentic. Not from Marshalls. And a picture. That's all you, man. So, Steve, we're so grateful for you. Uh, love you. Uh, we're going to miss you. Um, I know you're not going to be able to say anything. Yeah. I, uh, usually if I open my mouth, it's for too long. And uh, these have been really hard days. Say goodbye to school, say goodbye to Redeemer, my family here. Uh, we love you. We're going to miss you. We're going to be in a little tiny apartment when we first get to Fort Worth. But once we're into our house, our door, of course, is open to you. So we'll uh, expect some visitors periodically. And we'll try to get back. I, I always say, well, we'll see you. We'll come and visit. And I just know life gets full and it doesn't always work that way. But uh, hopefully we'll have... Not just eternity, but lots more contact in time. Thank you, brother. <laughs> okay. So, brothers and sisters, let's, let's let love be genuine. And let's love one another with brotherly affection. And let's outdo one another. In showing honor. And I hope, I hope Steve feels like he lost the honor competition today. That's what hope like. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.